Hello, and welcome to Amateur Attempts. I don't want to go to the city, Dylan. Uh, of course you don't. It's okay. It's okay. All right, welcome don't back. Don't make me go. Don't make me go. Don't make me go down the rabbit hole, Leave me with the mannequins. <laughs> so, welcome back to another What the Fuck Wednesdays. Of course, I'm Dylan with my co-host Chris, and we're here to talk about uh, some very interesting topics. Start off with uh, Japanese scarecrow villages, uh, Trump's, uh, well now, Twitter ban on Facebook, other companies as, uh, you know, miss all the riots that are going Speech on. Speech moderation. So, yep. So... Yeah, but let's dive into first the Japanese Scarecrow Villages. So, there's an interesting phenomenon. Now, the main one it appears to be in Japan, but these are in other places in Asia, like such as South Korea. I think there's a few in China. But this particular we're going to talk about is in part of the southern island of Shikuku, which is in, uh, what's it? Shikuku? So, it's the, uh, the actual little town is called... Naguru, and it's close to Okinawa. So, the idea of a scarecrow village, which I think is actually really cool, is a way to honor those who have lived there and those who have like basically passed away, who have moved on, because they're facing a very kind of a very interesting, uh, we'll say, population crisis. So, in Japan, like many like industrialized nations, like the United States, there is a tendency for most people to want to go to the city. And it makes sense because the city usually offers more in terms of jobs and materialistic items. Like it, it's just more appealing, at least for you know. I say I say a good majority of younger folks. So that's the problem with villages like Naguru, as well as other villages or towns in other cities, is that once you have a little bit of a, a age gap. And the older population can't move for various reasons. And they don't know how iPads work, for God's sake. <laughs> right. And then the old, and then the, the younger population is taken off to the city. Once those older people pass away, the town, unfortunately, is basically abandoned. And that's you know the case of Naguru. But it was cool what they decided to do. At least one lady decided to do was to basically make a town of scarecrows, with the scarecrows looking like the people who used to live there in a way to honor them in the afterlife. So. Some people might be sort of creepy, but I, don't know, I think it's actually kind of cool. It's a good way to honor ancestry. Also, not forget where, I mean, not forget people who have been there. It seems yeah. like that's a, that's kind of a problem like the U.S. Maybe the, uh, if people think they look creepy, maybe the original people were creepy. <laughs> that, is all. that is all. That is all. Um, that is all. It, it is an interesting phenomenon. I mean, it's you so you were mentioning other Asian countries. We did a we did a thirty second Google and couldn't really come up with much, but we assume it's like Korea or Thailand or some of these well, aggressively industrialized countries that yep. you know yep. over the last fifty years have just ramped up their production and western westernized westernization. Right. I did find a map though. There was some that put a point on the side of Vietnam, some in China, and then some in South Korea. But I mean, it's you know probably one village per country. Honestly, this seems like more of an artistic project more than anything else. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so in the terms of the lady who's doing it, the one in Japan, in Naguru, her name is, and I'm going to butcher these Japanese names, but... Butcher Tasuku, it. Was it Tasukumi Ayono? So she's been doing it for more than a decade. I, it's kind of a little unclear as to whether she still lives in the village, but I don't know, that is kind of interesting. I'm curious, though, for travelers who, like, go upon this village and basically might get, let's say, lost and wind up there can you imagine pulling up to like the petrol station mm. and it's like 10 yen and it, 
petrol station. <laughs> you know. It'll be uh, <laughs> it'll be fifty thousand yen. Oh, okay, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. And then um, you look again, and the scarecrows have moved. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. I don't. Would, the question is, would you visit this little village? I know I would. I, I would I'm also visit it. About it while doing a good rate of speed past the village. No, I'd walk around and I'd just be like, oh, look at that. All right, keep going. Yeah, that's I'd, my pathway. I think I'd walk around, check it out. Also, just see how many scarecrows she even made. Because I feel like Dylan, you you would bring a knife, just because you're Dylan, <laughs> and um, you just end up. Why do some of these scarecrows' heads not attached to their bodies? And you're like, look, they're looking at me funny. Could have sworn it was alive. Yeah, it gave me stinker. They gave me the stinker. But um, yeah. No, I probably would just look around. But yeah, definitely. What 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 she should do is she should either put like red LEDs in the eyes. Mm. And then that way at night, like they just look like a like it looks like a mob town of ghosts. Mm. Would be down for that. Can't wait to be terrified. And then also, um, if I was her, I would just move them around and people aren't looking, so they freak the fuck out. Yeah, I mean that's probably also. What, I mean she's been doing more than a decade. I would be surprised if she moves them around just to like kind of liven things up. Per this se. village is where but. Stephen King gets his ideas from. Oh, <laughs> uh, say so short on the current. It's Children of the Scarecrow. Children of the Crow. <laughs> oh man! But also, um, the Jeepers Creepers originated here too. Oh lordy! So, but it does it's kind of interesting though. It does talk about a really fundamental problem though with uh, well populations that have age gaps. Mm. So that you know there is an appeal more to live in the city, and I guess it depends on the person whether or not it's I guess advantageous toward them. You know, yeah, it, it depends. The culture but, over there is much different, especially the work culture and how it. And the, the importance of it and the norms. Um, if anyone's familiar with sort of Japan and their like basically workaholic culture, it's very uh, well. It's kind of uh, misogynistic and traditional, and it's been like that way for a long time. Yep. Uh, they have very strict kind of norms that are followed constantly by most people in the in the workplace, especially office work. Um, and um, that's probably a part of it. You know, there's just some some sort of duty and sort of a cultural change. It's where it's like okay. We're moving into the cities. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. More so, the U.S. is a little more, you know, it's still more individualistic, but people tend to do it for opportunity. Well, I wonder you know, if there's a little bit more of just cultural forcefulness. Yeah, I think it depends. Well, the U.S., I, it's, I will say it's a hit and miss. Because, like, for example, some of, like, I'm not trying to track too far from the uh, main topics, but, like, a Every lot time. Of, I know, right? But a lot of the dystopian films, like, in terms of, like, you know, movies that depict kind of, like, large-scale cities where everyone's moved there and the pollution's terrible and everybody's basically living way below the poverty line. Like San example, Francisco. Right? But, like, for example, Blade Runner. You know what city that was? Portland. Close, but Los Angeles. No, I think you're wrong, Dylan. <laughs> I believe it is Seattle. Oh, lordy. But yet, Tacoma, uh, Washington. You know, a lot of these, uh, the new Cyberpunk games, same thing, is technically based on, I think, Los Angeles, too. So, yeah, but the whole idea of these kind of, like, large metropolises and, you know, basically, it's kind of, we talked about, like, on the surface, they look shiny and glamorous, but on the interior, it's just... Uh, oh, you mean these, um, these metropoli? Metropolis. Yeah. Um, is it, so, is it Priuses or Prii? Okay, we're getting too deep off the rabble. <laughs> just wanted to, just wanted your thought. I don't think I've gotten a good answer. Uh, no, that that's a topic for the other day. Prius versus Pri. I'm going with Pri. Pri. But um, yeah, no, it's just I think it's a problem that like a lot of countries don't talk about. 
this push to basically living in the city, but then forgetting about like smaller regions or towns, you know, in the process mm. and basically the importance of some of these towns. Now, I don't know too much about uh, Naguru, the town we're talking about in Japan with the Scarecrows, but, you know, I'd, I'd imagine probably if basically everybody is gone at this point, it's because there's nothing there that's like industrialized. Like, you know, there's no real. I guess reason to do business anymore there. Like it's basically it's places no where longer, people probably live like a suburb yeah, almost. No longer a modern uh society there per se. There doesn't have the you know, more modern norms and And we um, we see this so we don't talk about it. Like, you know, in the US we have like suburbias that are just like empty. Like that's a problem here, but then you look at China, it's like cities well, that are Well, you empty. know why you, you know why they're so. empty, Dylan. We all both know why. Well, the cockroaches. The cockroaches. But, you know, you do see this in other places, mm. not to the extreme of, you know, I I think I think Japan overall, even though they have a pretty growing age. I'm pretty sure if we did scarecrows here, the uh, National Guard would get involved. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, this ain't right. <laughs> There's something's wrong here, boys. Um, but, um, yeah, even Japan with its growing age gap, I, you know, it's weird because I don't, it doesn't seem like it's as bad, you know, per se, because at least it's, like, small towns that are just being, like, mm. emptied. Well, but in the United States, as well as, like I said, China, we have, like, in some cases, cities that are just mm. empty. Do you have and, any examples of uh, of that for the U.S.? Well, so you like, is it, like, just some suburbs of major cities, or, like, is there entire, like, uh, not, not, like, sort of settlements, I guess, that are... Like the nowhere to go because I know that of some Asian countries, even like North Korea, and some like Middle Eastern countries that didn't quite they had like some sort of bubble economically, mm-hmm. so they have these overbuilt cities and they're just like ghost towns. There's nothing in them because you know the, there was no reason to go. Yeah. Um, uh, for your for your point about the U.S., what I was sort of thinking as you were saying it was you get a lot of these. Like in, like in the Japanese way, you have these traditional towns that have been around for hundred you know hundred two hundred years that were some sort of industry that is no longer valid or no longer needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coal towns, energy towns. And as we know, coal is a limited resource and we've transitioned slowly. So you have these towns, maybe the agricultural shifted, the amount of workers was needed, manufacturing moved. Mm-hmm. But you notice, I would think, what is cool about sort of bringing this up is that they've done something with their town without making it seem like sort of a sad story, you know? Whereas mm-hmm. in the U.S., all we kind of hear is like, oh, well, if we do, if we do you know, if we, if we go the green energy sort of deal and we start moving these jobs and start getting more, you know, environmentally friendly, start doing renewables, you know, it's like, well, what's going to happen to the coal miners, right? And that's all we hear is like, oh, what about me? You know, I'm in this, I'm in this industry. What am I going to do, per se? And you kind of just hear the sob stories about that, right? And the negative parts, because it's unfortunate to think about. And we should probably come up with an answer. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this Japanese example, they just kind of use their own resources, yeah, well, it's kind of a weird way, you know, they're not asking for help. They're sort of saying like, oh, hey, look what we did. Maybe take a look. I don't know. I get that vibe that they're sort of doing it to be <coughs> unique and sort of do something with their time to show that they still exist. Excuse me. Yeah. But so I did think of an example. Okay. Slab City. I believe that's in so, Borderlands, right? Yeah. So that is... <laughs> Fallout. Fuck you too. <laughs> so that's in the Sonora Desert. That's in Imperial County, California. So I should clarify. Isn't that a lawless area? Well, it is because the thing is, so it used to be a military base that was the size of a town. You know what I mean? Like mm. basically a little small city within itself. And then the U.S. was like, okay, it's no longer useful. So they just tore it down. But they left basically the infrastructure there. 
Yeah. And now just everyone goes out there because, like, even though it's federal land, then they're not going to do anything about it. They don't care, you know? So, and then California, they can't touch it because it's federal land. So, it's, it's one of those examples of just an area that's been kind of just forgotten. Left, then, there's been no purpose, and there's been no reason to intervene. Yeah. And then while I was out in Great Falls in Montana, like, now that's still a town, you know, a city we're talking about here. But you could definitely tell with how life has changed because they're known, they were known as well. The cities basically will kind of like, uh, you know, like the movie cars and the whole like route 66 deal mm. that, you know, basically they were a all town those... along a route that was a stop off point. Yes, exactly. So, you know, it, I mean, they're still industrialized. So, cause for example, they have a, you know, hydroelectric dam, they have other industries there, but you could definitely tell. I wonder if they've ever done a water test the... as of recent at that dam. <laughs> All right. So, well, the thing is, I was I was talking to people there. They used to say it was called a neon city, and mm-hmm. I mean, I was looking around. Like, I walk around at night, and like, of course, no neon. And you know, we look at the older photos of the towns. Like, you definitely see that. Yeah, there was it's a, all it's all LEDs now. Not even that. <laughs> so no. it's just like you know, like I mean, it was a bad, but you definitely see like the toll of like how time like is. You know, obviously, other cities once you know we kind of pushed to the west. Some in the Midwest has became, I will say, irrelevant. But mm. you know, we found other resources. To be, and, there has to be a purpose yeah. for the town to exist. Like settlements is just a collection of people where things are available in a centralized area, right? Mm. Where the cities are centralized, and obviously that's where everything is. You have your chains. You have many options for things, food, dining, industry, and so forth. We live, you know, there's certain industries because of the weather and geography for for growing things, uh, you know, for tourism and such. So that's why everything's booming. So obviously we don't. The, the, the the share of wealth is not equal, but the actual town is booming and growing, and there's reasons for it to be desirable. And these towns, it's like, well, what's the reason to be desirable? Some areas are like they're good for retirement because maybe they're mild and the taxes are low and such and such, even if there's technically nothing going on there. But it doesn't seem like that would benefit. Like Slap City doesn't benefit from that. It's the middle of the desert, you know, things are hard. So they're like, well, there's no reason to develop that. That was too much work. Probably same for these Japanese villages. Yeah, no, uh, most likely. village, I guess, is just like, hey, it's sort of in the wrong place, wrong time. There's no real reason to move there, whereas culturally, people are generally, especially when they're younger, trying to do things since, you know, they're moving out, and no reason people move back or move to there from another area. There's not much reasoning. Um, like with other towns, you know, if you're maybe retiring and want a quiet life, you know, sure, but generally people want access to normal, you know, Western cultural norms and, you know, stores and stuff, so... Yeah, but that does obviously play another question in terms of like with like Chinese, um, basically underdeveloped cities as they call them, and these are you know fully built cities that are ready to go, but you know, there's just not large push for people because we they have the awesome problem that I guess it's kind of the same thing with like other Asian areas. They're cool with living in the city. They'll sacrifice to live in the city. That's how we have like these kind of like micro apartments now, mm. you know stuff like that. Um, but you know, so trying to basically try to make suburb cities that kind of failed. Yeah. You know, I mean, these are even far from like the main cities. I mean, we're talking about like they even built like massive freeways to mm-hmm. go in between the, their version of suburbs to cities that just didn't interest people. So it does kind of make you wonder though, because I was saying you know, think about the day, like in terms of like city attraction, like you know, talking about like, we're talking about earlier in this conversation, is that you know a good thing or a bad thing? Overall, don't you think it's kind of, I guess, a bad thing because then, like, other areas that have, like, basically culture significance or, you know, 
I, I guess personality are just kind of gone. Mm. Like they're kind of just left to the yeah, sands it's unfortunate. of time. I mean, we actually have the once again here. It's kind of unique. I, it really depends, I guess, on the the regional individualities you know of what's going on there either culturally economically and such i mean we have many small towns and we're not going to live in them right you know there's three thousand or five thousand people in them but they have their own niche of like oh it's a you know sweet little charming town something something to drive through as people go on their way right but it does show Maybe you China though, doesn't work that way for those particular regions. Maybe not. But it does show you there's a obviously, I guess, a problem with, like, I guess, city induction. Because, mm. um, you know, Nagoro, I guess, used to be a pretty, you know, populated fishing village. Oh, excuse me. Fishing village. Yeah. And that was, you know, doing quite well for a while. This is, like, in recent years that they basically became a ghost town. Yeah. So now what do we what do we hypothesize for the fishing? I would imagine it probably became more commercialized. Japan is a big fish eater, so you te- technically would imagine there's more demand, yeah. but maybe, you know, um, consolidation, commercialization, you know, probably moved to other regions that had more efficiencies. Well, uh, this being one, I still what think, think it's also real city growth because you know, I mm. would think they would need actually. I mean, I won't get too far topic, but I think they need more fishermen because, as we talked about before in another podcast, China is super pressuring them in their own waters. Mm. So I highly doubt they want to like basically JDF, 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 <laughs> destroy. Uh, so I think, uh, I think honestly, they actually might need more fishermen than they even realize. So I don't, I don't think it's in terms of like it just being become too commercialized mm. or. Let's say two. Uh, well, I guess. well, it's like I know they have an issue with overfishing. They do, um, um, and generally we have that in the world. That yeah. has been going down though because of what the, what's been going on with China mm. and them with just another little kind of like. I'm also contest, curious that maybe maybe they will get some fishing back if someone was maybe entrepreneurial enough for that area. Um, maybe. maybe it may require that you know because. There is overfishing, you know, there's sort of limits and quotas set, and then they're trying to, like, not overfish the population. Maybe that had, maybe that does play part in it. Um, the China thing is interesting. I'm, I'm not sure it plays a part in this, per se, um, but it probably just plays part in, like, general fishing policy and maybe, you know, international waters and stuff like that, especially for the uh, all these Asian ocean areas well i mean but to be fair we had the same problem here not too long ago with our fishermen getting intercepted by russian warships hmm. so i think that i i think there's just a pressure for resources right now but that that's a that's a conversation for another day because it's not that's, just happening in china that's why, Japan. That's why you got a fishing pack too and surround the ship <laughs> combine anchors down them but well you know i think we wrapped up good yeah. old japanese scarecrow villages but off to our I would a like to visit Japan yeah. again, mentally, also physically. Yes. But you will lead off on uh, well, good old Trump. He seems to be your favorite character of all time. He's not. But he's a good experiment, per se, to witness. <laughs> um, so our sort of next area of interest is a question. I've been listening to some podcasts and audio and sort of maybe some, you know, some scholars and reporters and stuff. And the question is sort of how are, are we supposed to successfully moderate uh, you know, free speech without encouraging hate speech, you know, insurrection, um, obviously being, you know, early mid-January right now, we, we had that event at the Capitol building, you know, which is being described as an insurrection, right? This is something that was, um, talked about and it was known, um, and a lot of the, the fans, you know, the, the sycophants, um, of Trump who went there, um, 
a good amount and a good amount of the speech and rhetoric that they're used to and believe in was uh, actually super common on the um, Twitter competitor Parler. Um, so this is an app and it's basically like a less moderated parlor. So it's more like a wild west. It's just more open. You can say what you want to oh, what extreme. Yeah, but don't forget our good old friends like QAnon too. So yeah, there's a few. So all these, all this extreme stuff. Yeah. If you want to talk about QAnon, you want to talk about fucking child pedo rings, whatever, you know, like all, all, all that crazy shit we hear and we're like, what people can openly talk about it here. So parlor has been removed basically from the internet. Um, Amazon web services, which hosts it has just denied them they're they're gone they're off google play store they're off off of iphone right mm. and it's obviously this is not a government intervention this is companies who as we, i guess you could describe them as gatekeepers right because they're so big that they're in charge of sort of the the freeway to like to access to people mm. right um they basically removed parlor and their ceo has been like i don't know like i don't know what to do like their service is technically as far as i can tell down people were able to download the information to like offline through, uh, through like a side circumnavigation, um, but it shows you that these decisions um, are directly, you know, made by these gatekeepers that I mentioned. Mm. You know, they're in charge, and they have the power, and they legally can do what they want. They can go either or. Um, but the question is, how do we figure out who's right and who's wrong? Because I mean, we probably agree with the decisions made with Facebook, Twitter, and such, to where they basically cut off. Um, Trump's ability to, to, you know, to have speech, to incite, um, you know, to, to say these things that really enrage people and can cause actual harm. Mm-hmm. So um, it's interesting because I think they made the right choice, but technically we're not in charge either of saying whether they made the right choice or not. That's our opinion. And who's to say that they don't go another route in another example, you know, and we disagree with it. Because mm. I do agree that people should have free speech. Um the question is, where do we draw the line in terms of knowing something that is just, we don't want to see it. What control do I have in terms of how do, how do I see it or how do I turn it off? You know, how do these filters work? Um, these things that have, they're, they're just, they're not known. We're basically seat of the pants as we go. And as we can see, especially the social media companies, they've been taking more and more steps. And I generally agree with them. Um, but that's just me. And who's to say that if, I, if someone did disagree with them, they wouldn't have any power to, to change it. Right. Right. Um, Do you think, I guess, so the question is, is, well, the first question is, do you think they're in the right direction? And sort of do you, with the, with the situation we have now and the way that this works with, you know, the internet, um, do you think this is the right path they're taking? Well, I think I sum up a little better. So in terms of like Trump as well, other politicians, uh, we'll say this kind of, uh, I guess, blocked from social media sites. The question is, is it considered it's expression of speech? Because that's kind of what they're talking about. They're considering this a, uh, you know, basically a violation of the First Amendment. And is that actually accurate? And then also, from a world stage perspective, other countries are talking about, too, you know, basically kind of blocking, for at least some of their own politicians that get too radical, you know. Yep, Trump's not the only Twitter, one. You know, even TikTok, all sorts of really random things. Mm. You know, putting essentially limitations. So, really, the question is: Is this a move to suppress freedom of speech, or is this basically a uh, we'll we'll give this a, a filter, like mm. an, a, a functional political? It is filter? A, yeah. It it it's it's a filter and related to someone's ability to to to, to sway politics, right? In the talk of government. Mm. Um, to answer your question. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm all about amendments, especially myself being a gun owner, but I don't think in this case, 
as anything. I, I I personally don't feel the suspension of suspension. God, I keep saying suspension. Sorry. Um, I don't think it's um, any kind of a block of freedom of speech because essentially most of Trump's rhetoric rhetoric, rhetoric is more like uh, hate speech, honestly. Yeah. Or is this inciting? It's targeted. You know? So, board, so I mean, even then, I mean, it, it, I get why you know you know as a society would be qu- we don't want to be quick to label certain groups and anything, mm-hmm. but like you know, technically the actions that were committed by you know those protesters at the Capitol that'd be you know at least my pig is terroristic. People so, died. People were murdered. Yeah. People were actually so, murdered. Yeah. And it's kind of weird that we're just kind of like walking around the fact that that was kind of terrorism in a sense, yeah. you know? So I you think... Will, you think actually maybe we're just so blind with all that's happened in the past four years that we don't even realize that like what's happening is serious, but it's kind of surreal? Well, I think really the problem is, which I'm honestly surprised with, because they've only really talked about banning certain political content stuff like that but i think real the problem is it's just more the whole fake news issue that yeah. we, that's been kind of ongoing because it's not i mean it was as bad as during obama's era but there's always been kind of fake news so mm. now i think it's just intensifying even ourselves we're like we we're looking up earlier at cnn you know, I mean, we were just trying to get some background information, of course, and they're just ragging on Trump, essentially, yeah. which I get it. And the, yeah, but they, it shows they had, that there's yeah. a whole kind of like jump on the party wagon kind mm-hmm. of vibe, you know? So, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, in terms of like criticizing Trump, especially at the moment, yeah. you know, he kind of deserves it. I don't care yeah. really what he thinks, but, you know. Fun fact, Dylan. So, as you know, so just as sort of a side note that kind of plays into this with, with CNN. Um, so, uh, as we know, Trump's his his main platforms to speak, other than official White House communications, mm-hmm. obviously have been cut off. So mainly, he can just do what a traditional president has done before Twitter, right? Um, and we were talking about this privately, sort of like, well, let's see what happens on inauguration day. You know, are we expecting just some sort of like mass mass casualty event? You know, what like what's going to actually happen? You know, what's hearsay? But like, there's actual fears of things happening, right? Um, well, I mean, and what, they did deploy the National Guard finally, yeah. so it's fair something yeah. that might happen. I remember happen. what I told you when I said, unless Trump says something, if he does nothing, things won't get any better, right? That's true. Yeah. Well, Trump has actually said something, and he has actually said that he wants no violence. Uh, you're not a Trump supporter if you're violent. And he went on a, uh, he did, you know, he did a, a mild basic speech, and I was like, this is important. And it, But it shows you that, say, for example, is it... Uh, I, I don't see it as being a blocking of free speech per se in this regard because he had he, he just he just lost platforms of speech right exactly but he still was able to communicate out to people now whether they listen and whether they think oh he's being coerced or whatever right but he still had the ability through official government channels which is the most official of all you know right um, he was able to communicate that to the public right and of course news agencies did sure CNN ended but I'm just it kind of shows you if your opinion is of course that like you know left wing is fake news and we're somewhere in the middle we think journalism has become biased kind of regardless and some are worse than others um so I'm more curious how quickly CNN is to report that you know right. just sort of a, a fun tidbit is like oh you know we'll see and then that of course is a sort of a problem in itself is that like well are they obligated to report news as fast as possible factually you know um just just another question to add you know you can add it to like any news agency but of course Fox is on the right CNN is probably the most famous of the left. I still yeah. think they're generally reporting accurately, but it's sort of their opinion on the information yeah. well, that I mean, is swayed. I, well, I think we both agree. I mean, as I agreed, we, you know, technically you agreed with me earlier because we had the same viewpoint, but mm. it's definitely not necessarily a, uh, you know, a, um, impression. 
yeah, suppression, a suppression of um, you know freedoms, especially like in terms of information or uh, speech. So I think that's just something that they're just a force of the rights using as kind of uh, a tactic. Mm. You know, it's kind of the same thing the NRA does with guns. Anytime there's like some sort of law passed involving guns, like look, this is a suppression of our rights. You know, mm-hmm. so and now I think is I think we both agree this is more just to honestly kind of stop this from necessarily happening again. Because uh, there's a there's a fine difference between like I guess we'll call like maybe a a petty um, what's I'm looking for um, a, well, a spat not quite a spat but like uh, like you know for example the whole Hunter Biden thing mm. you know that was off is just a te- well integrity you know that was more like just kind of a little kind of like petty hit uh, based on the other mm. opponents like integrity as well as like. It was a you discredited know, leadership, you know, issue, which, yeah. you know, but compared to, you know, basically inciting an actual riot, you mm-hmm. know, it's like during the initial um, presidential debate, you know, where he's telling the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by, you know, like it was borderline like, okay, well, you know, yeah, I care what you say, because that could give me only a certain amount of ways that can be interpreted. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. and that's really the problem that I don't think people realize. It's not about suppression of rights. It's really about avoiding like stuff like this it's kind of like the same thing we have with hp so there's a reason mm. why like you know so specifically under you know your freedom of speech it says that hate speech doesn't qualify for a reason you know yeah so it's not every form of speech is like protected mm-hmm. so and of course the question the scholars will argue about is what qualifies as hate speech what is you know going to be fudged around and sort of like oh no i was you know just you know it was blown out of proportion um but, I, I mean, I always think about it. At the end of the day, like, amendments exist, right? But it's a case of how far do you want to stick to your amendment or what interpretation you have of it mm. versus, you know, do you want people to die? Well, right? well that's why the, the real-life impact of that. I'm not going to stray too far into the um, international talk because that's our Friday segment. But this is why it's been talked about with other leaders, you know, mm. from around the world for this exact reason. Like, this is a problem that, like, we're going to have to face because dictatorships dictatorships other things i mean fuck i think i told you about the one friend i had you know not we're not mentioning names here but this is a really old friend of mine i had that had that used to live in southern california i think he still does but this guy was a county sheriff and he strongly believes that like whatever happened you know at the you know based with the election and at the capitol that that was literally democracy, like not only falling apart, but that was our last real election. Mm. And it's like I personally don't think like this is anything staged. Like this isn't some sort of like crazy Illuminati takeover. Like right. all these like you know conspiracy theory stuff you see out there. I don't think it's anything like that. Um, but it's not so many people believe though. That yeah. that's exactly what happened. You know that you know Biden and Kamala represent basically. Some sort of uh, I said some basically demon third cult of child molesters. <laughs> no, not even that. Yeah. It's basically just some sort of like you know how the whole you know one world theory thing mm. where it's like you know there's actually a it's group of plan. elites that own all the countries and stuff yeah. like that. Basically, the fact that there's a, a good portion of the population that believes that basically Kamala and Biden represent basically kind of puppeteers almost. They mm. represent you know. They, you know, that group of people, that third echelon, if you will, of that yeah. higher, but yeah, exactly. It's a stage election, but I 
I don't think, obviously, I don't think any of us think that's what it is. I think it's just people are probably overreacting yeah. or they can't come to terms with like the actual results. Because the problem is, which I give Trump, he's able to pull out people's heartstrings. Yeah. Like the whole revival. He's of the also able, class. He's, he's able to find someone to blame. That too. That too. Yeah. Which it's weird. Like it, it's, it, it's sad, but it shows that there's probably, you know, that's why it's not so much a suppression of like, you know, rights in terms of like speech or other things. Really, the problem is we have a fake news problem. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. And some of the fake news has been from our commander in chief. Yes. Which is which an unprecedented thing more. to think about, right? And some people don't believe that. And you're allowed to believe what you want. But when these things start causing harm and danger and, you know, disruption of our, like, functioning government, which is already struggling to function as it is with all the gridlock and back and forth and polarization. Stimulus checks. Yeah. Like, the fact that we couldn't look at the bigger picture, it's just one thing to add. And, like, it's just going to be a thorn that hopefully doesn't grow into something, you know, really extremist. But, you know, um, so I can see it. If we have to do it, it's just a case of whether it solves a problem or, you know, either or. It's like, is this going to start enraging? Is this going to start, you know, branching off into something worse? Um, so, And I think it's more so just goes off this whole, like, the human condition, dealing with the fact that we have information so readily available and easy to access and share, right? The whole, the whole problem of the internet, television, right? Or and maybe Trump is just scared that he's actually going to get, like, fully impeached. Yeah. Not just get to the initial, like, phase of it, but yeah. actually go to jail. Afterwards. What I think, yeah, what I think would be best, right, which would I think would piss him off the most is, so he has a golf course in Scotland, right? Mm. Scotland doesn't like him. Imagine if we just banned him from entering the country. He'd just be like, yeah. I don't know, that'd be fun. No, I'd be honestly. Well, it's weird to think, honestly, because even states could probably technically do similar tactics. Mm. Especially but, once he's not president, yeah. So, because there's a lot of weird things going on. I mean, you know, with his his tax returns getting released and, you know, showing you only pay, like, what, for the past 10 years, what, 400-something bucks or whatever? Something stupid. He lost a bunch of money. Yeah. Which is something that we would think, we as is generally considered intellectual human beings of the lowest working class garbage, <laughs> um, we would think, like, this is, for us, this is big. It's like, look, it shows you that this rhetoric that he started that... I would believe if I was a regular Joe from the beginning is that like, okay, let's get business into this. Let's get privatized, excuse me, uh, privatization into this. Let's try something different, you know, in this experiment of our country, right? Let's, let's just figure we can unclog these like drains per se and get efficient government going, start doing things, right? Businessman, he's, he's done many things, but just hasn't, you know, and like he, he just doesn't. He's not a good businessman. He's a good con man. He's a confidence man. He can sell you what he wants. And um, that's what he cares about. Yeah. Right? That's what he cares about. It's what he's good at. He just cares about what people think of him and what he wants. Yeah. You ask anyone that works around him, down low, they'll tell you the same thing. Or all the women. Yeah. <laughs> Even worse case scenario. Grab him by the ballot. Oh, Jesus. Which we did. We did. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, sort of a tangent about Trump. But Trump is the biggest, I think, we always say this like it's the biggest push of our institutions, but this time it's our private institutions. Yeah, you know the way we the way speech is shared now through all these outlets. Uh, it's shown that actions can be taken, and now the question is, what's going to happen next? Well, seriously, and, basically, yeah. his inadvertent actions kind of made other exactly like groups like Facebook and stuff like that be like, mm. oh shit, like we might be tied into this as well. We need yeah. to do something. <laughs> and some of these companies have said that like they need help with laws. They need to know like what they can do and what they can't do. 
because they're probably thinking like we don't want to be in charge because they, they don't want the blowback from making the wrong decision or something like this right? exactly um and we do need to call something and a lot of the people in charge are just too old to understand how it works yeah i don't know so it's a good question to think about in terms of what what we're saying quite pretty much is just that we don't know what the answer is and right now we agree with the decisions made but it's clearly a band-aid. Yep. And it's something that like you need to have like Europe is trying to you need to have regulation and laws set and like people need to have rights, I think specifically in terms of what they want to see. Mm. Um or what they don't want to see. Maybe it, you know, that's the way it's like okay, well, that's free speech, but I don't want to see that. So if you have tools for me to not see that, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think that's a it's it's, it's a pretty important thing to think about. Um cuz right now it's just a it's just a wild west of shit. <laughs> yeah. Basically yeah. clusterfuck, but well, I think that summed up the definition of what the fuck Wednesdays. Thank We're you getting so much. through. All right, thanks.